Today's Callahan Show is sponsored by MyPillow. Go to MyPillow.com and use code word Jerry for huge discounts. For example, you can get the standard MyPillow, which is normally $69.98 for only $19.98 with code word Jerry. I'd call that a huge discount. MyPillow is made in the USA and it comes with a 10-year warranty. It's machine washable and dryable. It's the most comfortable pillow you will ever sleep on. Makes an excellent gift for Christmas. Get it now. And you can support this show and you can strike back against cancel culture. As you know, like us, Mike Lindell is constantly under attack from the cancel culture mob. By purchasing from MyPillow, not only are you helping this show, you're fighting back against cancel culture. MyPillow isn't in the big box stores anymore, so you can get factory direct pricing if you order from MyPillow.com using code word Jerry. We got our MyPillow stuff, and I got to say, I love it. I love my Giza sheets. I love my MyPillow. And I tell, I'm telling you, Bug the Chug loves his dog bed. Uh, you know what else I, 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 I want for Christmas? I'm, I'm asking. I'm literally asking for Christmas, Carano, the slippers. I saw Mike Lindell showing off, uh, kind of uh, uh, promoting the, uh, the slippers. I love the slippers. I, I, have a pair and slippers. I, I have a pair, and I love them. Did you get a pair? Yes, I didn't tell you. My wife well, had me buy a bunch of stuff because she loved it so much. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to my my pillow slippers. You can get them too. Just go to mypillow.com prom and use the promo code Jerry. That's G-E-R-R-Y. 800-893-7406. Promo code Jerry. This is the Jerry Callahan Show. I mean, it is December 7th. That is Pearl Harbor Day, of course. And and, and also Larry Bird's birthday. Uh, you want to feel old? Yes. You want to feel old like I do? Larry Joe Bird turns 65 today. I haven't seen him lately, but I'm sure he's as beautiful as ever. <laughs> I love him. He's my favorite athlete to, to, to root for, my favorite athlete to cover, my favorite athlete to talk to, to interview the, in, in, my, in my career. He's kind of laying low these days. I hope he's having a great birthday. I know he's... Uh, I think he still goes down to Florida, down to Naples, and, and plays golf and enjoys life and, and uh, puts on his sunscreen. But uh, we will talk to Dan Shaughnessy from the Boston Globe, who uh, has a book out uh, about those days, the glory days, the Bird, Parrish, McHale uh, years with the uh, Celtics. He was there every day. I was there a lot. It was a pretty cool team to cover. And, uh, there was no one like Larry Bird. No one. No, no. one. no one. No one. The, the greatest, um, the the greatest misconception in sports history was when Bird was younger and people thought he was a dope, a, a hick from French Lick. He was one of the smartest athletes I've ever covered. He just was very aware of everybody around him, all his surroundings. He was the cockiest athlete. He was the funniest athlete. And he was the most clutch guy I've ever seen in my life. It was an amazing thing to watch. Unfortunately, it didn't last long enough. He had the back problem, but uh, I certainly look back fondly. We, I talked to Shaughnessy, and we both uh, agree with, that nobody appreciated it enough uh, covering that team, watching that team, watching that man, Larry Bird, perform, because it's hard to, it's hard to convey to people, to people like you, what it was like. I mean, it was just a an energy, a playoff energy in the, in the building. And it was just, you knew you were watching someone just transcendent in Larry Bird. Doesn't, you it, knew. doesn't it bother you that you've got uh, LeBron who's playing yes. like 38 right now and Bird's career was so short. 
I mean, yes, and people you know, who think somehow that uh, LeBron's better—that's ridiculous. LeBron's better, please. Not only was Bird better, but Bird would never like jump around grabbing his junk because he hit a shot. <laughs> I mean, he might, you know, trash talk. He was a great trash talker, but he wasn't. I mean, he was just smarter than LeBron. You know, he just had more had more class than LeBron. That's no question about that. But uh, it is unfortunate that he, you know, he played hard. He dove on the floor. He he mixed it up. I got a picture right there behind me of him fighting Dr. J, November 9th, 1984. It's hard to believe, but he got a fight. There's a picture right there with him grabbing Ju- uh, Julius Irving around the throat. That's right. Dr. J is grabbing him back. Two of the greats. Uh, obviously, Bird was better, but uh, that was a pretty wild night. And speaking of wild nights, Carano, I'm telling you, the... <laughs> The, the old debate, Brady Brady or Belichick, right? We always, we had for years. Who is it the quarterback? Is it the coach? I was a Brady guy. In fact, Dan Shaughnessy was a Belichick guy, so it's good. We'll talk to him today. Uh, the debate, the debate still, still isn't settled. Uh, you know, we're on November, we're at December 7th in the second season of the two of them apart. And the correct answer, obviously, would be it's both. It's both. It's the greatest coach ever and the greatest player ever. They combined you know, for seven Super Bowl titles and an amazing 20-year run here in New England, they parted ways. It still didn't make any doesn't make any sense to me that they just let Brady walk. They gave him his free agency and let him walk. But what uh, what Belichick's doing now with a rookie, hell, a rookie quarterback? We've talked a lot about Mac Jones. Um, he didn't. He didn't play last night. He didn't. No. He didn't have to. He, no. he, he wasn't three, involved. Three as, as Matthew Judon said after the game, it was a team effort. Everyone had to do their part, except Mac Jones. He didn't have to do anything. You know, and he literally did not. He completed two passes. He threw three passes. Here's the amazing thing about last night's Patriots game. First of all, they're as I've been saying for a month. They're the best team in the AFC. They're the best team in the NFL. That's seven straight wins. They're the hottest team. And they're all set up to finish strong. They'll win. Uh, you At know, least they they'll buy, be the Colts. Yeah. A bye this week. They have the Colts on the road. Not easy, but that's their last last uh, tough game. They have yeah. the Jaguars. And they have the Bills in New England. And I feel like what the Patriots did, I've said it for years, they don't just beat teams. They wreck them. They ruin them. They're, the best example is the Atlanta Falcons. After that Super Bowl, after they came back from 28-3, to three, the Falcons were never the same. They cut the heart out of teams, and then they eat it while it's still beating. <laughs> they just destroy the heart. They just destroy the, the soul of teams. I have a feeling they did some real damage. Oh, they Buffalo, did. Do you hear McDermott? Do you hear McDermott? Like, yes, yes. Throw... I want to get to, Mc... <laughs> okay, I wanna get to McDermott. That's the best example <laughs> of Belichick not just outcoaching the other guy, but just stomping him flat. I mean, just ruining him. And I have a, I have a hard time believing that the, uh, the bills will bounce back from that. I'm going to get the date on that. The at Buffalo, uh, I mean, at, at new England against Buffalo, uh, December 26th. So he literally has 19 days and they play, they go to Tampa. They have a short week They go to Tampa they're a game and a half behind New England now. They're they're done. The Patriots won the division last night. They're in. They get the first seed. I have a, I, I 
feel like they'll hang on to the uh, hang on to the first seed. They will be the number one seed going into the playoffs. They will get a bye. They will get two home games. <laughs> they will. They're going to the Super Bowl, which is hot with a rookie quarterback. And I I was very impressed with Mac Jones for the first uh, whatever 13, 12 games. No opinion last night. Didn't play. Didn't matter. <laughs> Belichick. Uh, and and uh, I'll, I'll tell you why he did such an amazing job. Why the coach deserves all the credit he's getting, despite what Sean McDermott said from last night. Uh, first, let me tell you about DCU. Then we'll then I'll, then we'll tell you what Sean McDermott said. The the loser coach from last night, and uh, tell you why this wasn't just one win. You know. <laughs> out of 17 games. Uh, it, it was it was a devastating night for Bills fans. Uh, and you just have to you have to feel bad for them. What a I mean, what a what a disastrous night for their team. We'll get into that and uh Jussie, Jussie Smollett took the stand. Sounds like it was as comical as you would expect. We don't have cameras, we don't even have photographs for some reason of the court. We have those stupid drawings. But we'll tell you We'll tell you where the trial, where this clown show in Chicago went yesterday. I got to say, I don't, I, I, I think the Buffalo Bills have a better chance of coming to New England and kicking the Patriots ass than Jesse has of getting a hung jury. He is just getting embarrassed further. I don't even understand why he went to trial, but we'll give you the details on that. And we'll talk to Shaughnessy about the Patriots and about uh, his new book about the Larry Bird Celtics, all that on today's Callahan Show, brought to you by DCU. Whether you're buying your first home, your dream home, or looking to refinance the home you love, DCU may have the mortgage program to fit your needs, and more importantly, your budget. Their mortgage experts will walk you through the application process and help remove the hurdles that can make it such a difficult and confusing process. They'll bring you right up to the front steps of home ownership. Learn more about rates and programs, or to apply today, dcu.org slash mortgage. DCU is an equal housing lender, NMLS number 466914, insured by NCUA, membership required. All right, if you haven't heard, after the game, after the, or the game, as, you, as everybody probably knows, was bizarre. 35 mile per hour winds going one direction, but it didn't matter. The Patriots didn't even throw the ball when they had the wind. You know why they didn't do it, didn't throw? Because they didn't have to. Right. Belichick didn't Sean McDermott. Uh, let, we'll just, we'll just mention what he said last night. Sean McDermott said, let's not give Belichick too much credit here. Mm -hmm. Right. That's basically it. He's right about one thing. Belichick didn't do anything crazy or creative or deceptive. His coaches didn't fool anybody. They said, we are going to line up and run the ball down your throats on your field in your city and you won't stop us. You can't stop us. And they didn't. It was as you know. It was as as subtle as a kick in the nuts. That was just, that's exactly what it was. That that's the the most damning part is you knew right. exactly what they were going to do, and they couldn't stop it. He didn't fool you, Sean no. McDermott, or any of you know the, your coaching staff. They ran forty six times for two hundred and twenty two yards. They passed three times. It was the fewest passing attempts in a game in a win since nineteen seventy four. Everybody is talking about it, and they're saying Belichick did it again, and he did. But it wasn't because of anything really creative or original. He just coaches his team up. He gets them to play smart. He gets them to play hard, both sides of the ball. And, by the way, <laughs> Belichick, the coach, is having a great year. Belichick, the GM, 
is having a better year. I mean, they, they, these draft picks from Mac Jones to the Barmore or uh, to to uh, this 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 Ramonde Ramondre Stevenson, this yep, running Stevenson. back stud, who looks great and <laughs> comes out of nowhere. It's not even you know your starter, not even your number one running back, and he's just running downhill all night long, and the Bills could not stop him. The Patriots were just mentally tougher. Do you, know, you want to know and, what, uh, what the most impressive part was? So after the game, someone asked Bill Check, uh, Bill Check, if uh, if he was gonna do the, if he if his plan was to run the ball all week, and Bill Check right. said he said no. So that what that means is he's flexible. Like he figured out right. these are the conditions we're in. This is the personnel we have. This is our best chance to to win the game. Right there on the spot. And you know, and you know what? When uh, you're thinking they have the win, they're gonna throw, and he's thinking. Why? We Why? don't have to. You know, we don't have to. We can run the ball on this team. Why take a chance? Even with the wind, it's not easy, as we saw with Josh Allen. I love watching Josh Allen play, but uh, he can be fooled, as we saw on the last play. And Belichick and Steve Belichick and whoever else, Gerard Mayo, who's ever else has pulled the strings, fooled him. It was the fourth quarter, uh, and they have third and eighteen. Fourth yep. quarter, yep. they have the wind. Yep. It's third and 18. They run the ball. They kick a field goal. They win the game. And it's, and I'm thinking only Belichick would do that, say, we don't have to throw. We kick the field goal. We'll win the game. He just sees things, feels things. And that's he's the only coach in the NFL, 32 coach, the only coach who wouldn't have thrown that, who, who didn't throw that ball. And maybe he's thinking we'll throw a pick. The wind you know, one of the pressure, maybe he, maybe he talks to Mac Jones, a kid from Florida, uh, who said he had never seen snow. Right. When That's he, in thing. 2015, I believe, when he arrived at Alabama, he'd never seen snow. He's yes. not used to cold, even though he's, you know, there are some games in the SEC that can get cold, but not like this. So he just had a feeling, I can't let this kid lose the game and he didn't well that's that, and, actually that was the impressive thing about mac jones is he didn't make any mistakes he had right. that one tough throw uh to sanu i think who who came down with it it was yeah. but, it, but he airmailed it and sanu made a great catch to do it but he didn't make any mistakes he didn't turn the ball over i think that was judon smith but he uh but he snuck oh, the it, ball too oh, okay they, they couldn't even stop him sneaking the ball when they knew they were sneaking yeah you know what that is that's your offensive line just beaten bullying their defensive line and when you're the bills that's like the one thing you got going for you we're home we're the bills the weather's terrible you know we're kind of a gutty gritty blue collar team well they got bullied they got pushed around and after the game mcdermott not only uh said let's not give bill belichick too much credit which as i tweeted he has a point you know he has a point it wasn't about moving chess pieces it was just like the old, I don't know. You, do you ever do Billy Jack with your with your uh, Quantum Week? No, I don't know. Billy Jack, uh -uh. the Born Losers. Uh, he was a you know, like a guy, a badass martial arts guy. Mm, okay, I think his name was Tom McLaughlin in real life, and he was a real character. But he was a martial arts guy, and he's facing off with the bad guy, and he says, "I'm going to take this foot and I'm going to put it on that side of your face." <laughs> And there's nothing you can do about it. And the guy just looks at him and goes, oh, okay, let's go. And he does this amazing martial arts flying kick, <laughs> boom, right in the side of the face, kicks the guy, knocks him out, and it's like one on 20 and kicks everyone's ass. That's what last night was. We're going to hand the ball to this guy right here. 
is uh, or this guy or this yeah, guy. One, Harris, we're right. gonna give it to Stevenson. Yep. He's gonna go off that tackle, and you can't stop him. Right. And they couldn't. And then after the game, everyone says. Belichick's amazing, and again, he is. He is. Well, He's the best coach well, ever. But, the other thing was, is, it, it was nothing really deceptive. No, the other thing though is Belichick didn't make any mistakes either. McDermott bold, uh, blew two timeouts at the end of the game. That's blew true. Two he, of them. He, he wasted his timeouts. He was so upset about the delay of game call. I think that threw him off. He just started screaming and ranting and raving the whole game. It must be frustrating. Sure. You know, I don't. I don't blame him. I don't blame them. It's a frustrating thing. But he was in position. He could have won the game on that last drive. He really could have. And to lose those two two timeouts were damning. Yeah, they, they, I had a feeling, though, as I'm watching, that they were not going to win the game. Did you just have a feeling? Yeah, that, but that, still, that, like, that it's, not like they, would, it's not like I they mean, had no chance. Josh, Josh Allen's terrific. He's got a great arm. There's no quarterback you'd rather have except Tom Brady. Uh, in That's in those conditions in Buffalo. But he, even though he, he dropped back, they, they had him on the run. He fell down, and then he got sacked. I mean, that was killer. And the last play, as we saw in the replay, uh, where what's his name tapped at uh, number forty-one, made the play. He had an he had an open receiver. He missed it. He had a couple of open receivers on that last right. drive. He missed them. He did. Uh, the Patriot. That might have been the one moment where you say the Patriots fooled him. They definitely moved the pieces around, and he didn't know what he was looking at. And maybe that's something he learns. Maybe he's better in a couple of weeks or in, uh, what I say, 19 days when they play again. But it just feels like the Patriots didn't beat the Bills. They wrecked them the way they often do, the way they often have in the past. Just ruined their their will, you know, uh, ruined their, their 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 the took the fight right out of them. And then, then afterwards, they're all you know get snippy with the media and they're <laughs> fighting with each other. And they're saying we got to go to New England. Then we got to if we if they make the playoffs, they got to go on the road. They got to you know they got to be a wild card. They got to go on the road and win like three games. Their their road just got so much harder, so much tougher. And it wasn't supposed to be this way. The Patriots were two and four. I know the Bills. Bills were riding high. The Bills were was everyone's were everyone's pick to win this division. And it's not. And it's per, and it's Larry Bird's birthday, and the division is over. It's wasn't supposed to be this way when number 12 hit the road. You know, it wasn't this way last year when they had the stiff Cam Newton at quarterback. And it just felt like it had all slipped away. They were two and four and you were saying, okay, this, this run is over. How much longer is Belichick going to do it? You know, what, what, what's, you know, the future hold. And now you're looking going, they're going to the Super Bowl. They're going to play two home games in Foxborough uh, as favorites win those games, go to the Super Bowl and play. It'll just be the greatest sporting event in, 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 in whatever, New England history. <laughs> play the, the, the Bucks and Brady in, in, in the That would Super be an Bowl. event, yeah. That would be amazing. It felt like last night was an event. That, that, that's what the Patriots do. They just make everything feel just like an event. There's, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday how there's nothing – the NBA and Major League Baseball and hockey and there's just no nothing else that makes no other sport, no other time that makes every game feel like an event. The NFL does that. The Patriots do that. I felt like I was watching a playoff game last night. I felt like I was watching something I'd never seen before, which is pretty cool when you think about it. I'm old, not as old as Larry Bird, but I'm old. I've never seen that before. A game where the wind was Three so passes. bad. 
that one team just said, we're not going to throw. See if you can stop us. And they couldn't. Well, compared now, to that, remember the uh, the Miami game they played? I don't know how many years ago. It was I think it was the last game on the schedule before the playoffs. And it, right. and, uh, it often and, is. and they lost the Miami game because they Bill Belichick was forcing the run. Oh, for yes. a, remember yes, that? Yes, they I was ran like, like I was thinking about like the juxtaposition. One seemed like a, a team on its heels, and last night it seemed like a team who was enforcing their will. That was another one of those games where you said, Well, they're done. This is over, the yeah. run is over, they yeah. they got crushed and in Miami, and it was a stubborn. Everyone would say Belichick's so stubborn, yeah, stubborn. he can't adjust. And you're watching last night and say, I mean, he just finds a way to get these guys, young guys, rookies, second year guys, free agents, and and gets them to take it up a notch. You know, they just play harder. They just play with more uh, intensity than the other guy. And that felt like what they did yes uh, last night, which was an amazing thing to see. It really was. And now we get to watch couple of playoff games at home we get to watch another super bowl and maybe they play tom brady maybe, you know what wouldn't be so bad if they played aaron Rodgers because i often say that i don't root for teams i root against more more i root more into rooting against people so yeah. i root against the media and the media hates aaron Rodgers now so i like aaron Rodgers. i'm rooting for aaron Rodgers. yes rooting for tom brady not just because i think he's a nice guy i was a brady guy trying to see was a belichick guy but because Lots of the media, lots of America hates Brady. They can't stand watch him win. And I love the fact that he ruins people's day when he goes out there at age 44 and, you know, throws for four touchdown passes. But uh, we will get to Shaughnessy uh, in a few minutes. Um, I did want to mention Jussie because I'm telling you, I follow this. I follow all these big trials closely, at least as much as you can when there are no cameras and no uh, photographs and no video and no nothing. It is, seems so silly, I'll say it again, to have in this day and age, in 2021, to have someone sitting there with a pencil and a paper drawing pictures. I love it. It's like just a stupid. Magazine. You like to see the expression on, you know, the judge's face or the lawyer's face when this clown, when this clown Jussie gets up there and starts spinning his tails again. I realize he's an actor. And it's all, it was an act from the beginning. He set the whole thing up. We all know it was a hoax. Everybody knows everyone on his defense team, all his friends, Kamala Harris and Oprah Winfrey and Michelle Obama, all his fans, they all know he's a liar and a phony and a fraud. And it all blew up on him. And I guess the plea deal, I'm just going to assume, Carano, the plea deal wasn't very good because that's not a bad why why would you go to trial the only First of all, the only time you would ever do that is if you, if the if the plea was prison right every other thing community service right. fine you would take it and get out of there that's My, a good point because he is facing prison now he's facing up to three years he won't get it he should and i'll tell you why think of this next time you watching a jesse smollett report or reading a story just think of had he pulled it off had he pulled it off, do you realize the fallout if he actually convinced he, he made it, the plot worked, that the whole country believed two MAGA guys beat him up, poured bleach on him, and threw a noose around him, and called him the N-word and the F-word and all this. If he pulled that off, I mean, this is much, much worse when you think about it than, uh, you know, whatever the, I can't even think of a, 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 a race hoax like... Uh, that that worked where people you know protested and marched and i guess you know the i guess duke lacrosse that would have that worked for a while because you had an evil da 
But if this worked, there would have been rioting, there would have been uh, fights and, dis- and just incredible uh, racial tension if it worked. He was a Hollywood actor. I didn't know him, but it would have got unbelievable coverage. All the CNNs and MSNBCs would have been weeping nightly about the hate in this country and the, you know, the, the white supremacy and everything else. That's what he was hoping for. If he pulled it off, it wouldn't have just been him coming across as a victim and maybe getting a raise from the company that puts the stupid TV show on. He would, again, I'll, re- I'll remind people he was making $100,000 per episode. They do 18 episodes a year. He was driving around in like a, like a $100,000 car. He was loaded. It wasn't enough. He wanted more attention. He wanted more publicity. Even and if, this is the way. Even if, not, even if he didn't get money from the show, he would have been on Oprah. He would have done a book. Right. He would have done the whole tour. He, he, he would have made it, a, it would a, have been a lot huge. Yeah, it would have been huge. Noose and this yes, and that yes. and MAGA and Trump. And, oh, I mean, fortunately, he's such an idiot that he didn't really think it through. But but again, he wasted 3,000 hours of the Chicago police's time when they get, you know, some murders more things to, to deal with. <laughs> but but I just want to mention this. Two things we learned in court yesterday. One, Don Lemon called him in the middle. <laughs> Don Lemon from CNN called him to tell him that he learned that the cops didn't believe him. I'm not sure why Don Lemon had to do that. How did <laughs> nobody believed him? Uh, and the other thing was, and I think prosecution, I mean, they must just be feeling like they, this is a joke that they got him. And they had him uh, in a line of questioning about how did the brothers that he's blaming, the, the Nigerian brothers that he hired to beat him up, now he's blaming, saying he didn't hire him. They just beat him up because they're homophobic. <laughs> right. How did they know you'd be there at one in the morning in the, you know, when it was zero degrees when you were going to Subway? And he said they knew because they told him he had to go out and get some eggs for his diet. They, they were like personal training him. And they said they needed eggs. So they knew he'd be going to the Walgreens to buy eggs at one in the morning. So that's why they knew he'd be there to jump up. What defense attorney would let him take the stand and say these stupid words? It's like he's made no defense at all. It's like he's just going off the cuff. He thinks he's an improv actor. I've never seen a worse defense. And again, I guess the offer they made wasn't good enough, but he's facing, is it five or six charges? Hopefully, I mean, he'll be convicted and hopefully he'll do prison time because that he really, if he pulled this off, would have really wreaked havoc. He'd have caused some real, real problems in this country. Plus, imagine if it were the other way around, if this were a white guy blaming, you know, two BLM guys and making it all up. That guy'd be public enemy number one. No one would be feeling be bad the, for him. He'd be the most racist person in the country. And why aren't <laughs> we saying the same thing about Jesse? Right. He'd be, he'd be worse than Trump, that guy. That guy right. would be the face of evil. Jesse's kind of a clown and, and a, you know, but, but he is, if he, if, if, he's fortunate. He was so stupid. And so the plan was so bad because if he pulled it off, can't imagine the, the havoc he would have wreaked. But I, I don't know how much longer this goes. They haven't even started the defense case yet. Right. I, mean, I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's the prosecution. I, at some point, are you allowed to like raise your hand and say, whatever that, Whatever that plea deal was, I just changed my mind. I think I'll take it because it just, he sounds, he seems like such a fool, such a clown blaming, and, and blaming claim, the gay guys saying he had a sexual relationship well, that's with him. that's the thing too. How do you, right. How do you have and a sexual relationship? he's a homophobe. Right. I don't, none of it makes sense. <laughs> I guess his brother's the homophobe. These poor guys, I mean, they're, they committed a crime too. They took his money. 
but they were thinking they were they they, they weren't thinking it was going to be an international incident they thought he just wanted to you know get in the news get some coverage some publicity to raise his profile right but what if we imagine think of the job the the opportunity he blew he was a gay black actor and we've seen him act he can act and he just threw it all away over this stupid scheme to create to 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 fabricate some uh, some sympathy and some support just ridiculous Un, i mean i wish you were on on tv because i assume people there judge they're all, all laughing they just must be laughing in his face he's just such a clown i i don't know if don lemon has addressed it yet you know since they got rid of uh, chris cuomo cuomo i haven't it's tuned funny, in to see what don lemon has don lemon has to say but uh uh, I'm sure he hasn't touched it, but uh, you also. I, you al- oh, sorry. You also saw that uh, Cuomo um, stopped a serious show as well. Not that anybody was watching it. It's, that's right. He quit. He, I mean, I don't know what that pays, but you'd think you hang on to that. It seems like a pretty easy gig. He just showed mm. up for whatever an hour. Seems or two. seems to me just, maybe Sirius said, "Hey, uh, Chris, um, buddy, maybe uh, maybe it's time to take a hike." <laughs> it's gonna get good though. Chris Cuomo's made it clear that he's not going quietly. He's he said through a spokesman that uh, Jeff Zucker. The Dwarf King, as Tucker calls him, the head of CNN, knew everything. And then he uh, threatened to sue. The word is that Chris Cuomo was suing for all his money or uh, or else. He knows where the bodies are buried. He's got dirt on everybody. The Cuomo's fight dirty. So I think they're going to have to pay Chris Cuomo. And you know what? He'll end up, he'll get a job. He'll, you know, he'll, the liberals always, you know, they never get canceled. They always bounce back. Look at Brian Williams, Kevin Cullen. You know, it doesn't matter what you do unless you, you know, unless you, you know, commit murder or, or fake a racial hate crime. I mean, if you do what Cuomo did, just grabbing some uh, woman's ass or, you know, helping your brother, uh, you know, to try to destroy the women who accused him, he'll survive. I don't know where he'll end up. He's not very good at his job, but, He'll end up getting a job somewhere, and uh, I think somebody who replaced him. Oh, uh, Brian Ross replaced him on on Sirius. I didn't even know what channel he was on. I had to look it up. He's on the the POTUS channel on Sirius. Oh, I've really? Never heard it. Uh, yeah. Never heard it. Didn't even know he was on there. But I'm surprised he quit. But you're probably right. They told him time to go. You are uh, as uh, as uh, uh, what's his name? Steltler said he's just to the headaches. He's just not worth the headaches. Not worth the headaches. So we got uh, Dan backstage. We'll do the ads and then uh, I'll bring him on. We will uh, get to Dan Shaughnessy right away, who has a book out called uh, uh, Wish It It Lasted Lasted Forever. Forever. Do I have that right? Wish It Lasted Forever. Uh, I'm I'm with him on that. I'm with him. I miss Larry. I miss Larry. Happy birthday, Larry. We miss you. But uh, first, let me tell you about, uh, am I doing Omaha Steaks now? Excellent. I love doing Omaha Steaks because I my heart's in this one, Carano. Let me tell you, Omaha Steaks uh, is the perfect. In fact, there's a reason they call it the perfect gift. That's the name of the package, the perfect gift, because it's perfect. Bacon-wrapped fillets, chicken breasts, Omaha Steak burgers, Jumbo Franks, individual scalloped potatoes, caramel apple tartlets, signature seasoning. And if you use the uh, code word Jerry, G-E-R-R-Y, you get eight free Omaha steak burgers, and these are awesome burgers. Christmas is just around the corner. This is the perfect gift for someone on your list. Trust me, I got it for my birthday, and I loved it. And I got another one for Christmas, and I still love it. And because I discovered new things, I didn't eat. I didn't have the Franks last time. The the uh, the hot dogs—they're awesome 
hot dogs. Omaha Steaks makes it easy to send friends or family an unforgettable gift that is guaranteed to be loved. Just go to omahasteaks.com, enter Jerry, G-E-R-R-Y, into the search bar to order the perfect gift package for just $99.99. You get 24 entrees. I told you all about them. Uh, um, Carano stole the bacon wrap fillets, but that's okay. I had them last time, and they're awesome. Chicken breast sides, Frank's burgers, and so much more. When you use the code word Jerry, you get an, an additional eight Omaha steak burgers free with your order. We've heard the reports about shortages and shipping delays, so don't wait. Order the perfect gift package today at omahasteaks.com, and you'll get eight free burgers when entering the code word Jerry. Achieve gifting greatness. With Omaha Steaks, incredible flavor, incredible value, and 100% guaranteed. OmahaSteaks.com, keyword Jerry. Right, do, you know, uh, do you know who LZ Granderson is, yeah. Toronto? Yes, LZ Granderson. He's formerly of ESPN. Now he's an op-ed columnist for the LA Times and is a political contributor to ABC News. Will Leach, founder of the late website Deadspin and formerly of uh, WEEI.com, by the way. He's an, a contributing editor at New York Magazine and the author of How Lucky. They bring a, they, they combine, come together to, for a, a new podcast called The Long Game with LZ and Leach. The Long Game with LZ and Leach covers an intersection of sports, culture, and politics from the vaccination hesitation to online betting to all of the isms and phobias we've come to know. We talk about those things, and so do these guys. Sports not only reflect our culture, but they drive our culture. New episodes of The Long Game uh, come out every Wednesday, so head to therecount.com or your preferred podcast platform to listen to the most recent episode. All right, let's do it. <clears throat> let's get to uh, Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe and author of, uh, what is it again? Wish It Lasted Forever. <clears throat> What's happening, Shaughnessy? <clears throat> hey, Jerry, I'm good. How you doing? First of all, I know you're a Belichick guy, so you had to enjoy oh. last night. I was a Brady guy. You were a Belichick guy. Um, I'm telling you, that was one of the most impressive nights of his <laughs> pretty impressive run here in New England. Would you agree? I was laughing my ass off just watching that. It just got better and better. I'm like, when are they going to switch to the leather helmets for the fourth quarter here? It was it was crazy, and he was right. I mean, they had a chance to lose it. They very well could have lost it, but love how his like third string defensive back right. makes a big play. I mean, it, it was just, and just watching that offensive line. I mean, you played football, you understand it. I just know when the fatties are down there all working in concert like that play after play, it's impressive. And, and then you hear McDermott after the game, he's, he's clearly Bill's taking up all this space in his head and it was just uh yeah, I loved it. It, it is. And I made this point earlier, Belichick doesn't just beat guys or the Patriots don't just beat <clears throat> teams. Sometimes they, they destroy them. You know, they wreck them. Yeah. They rip their hearts out. They destroy their souls. I felt like that's what he did to McDermott last night. He's watching. He said, wait a second. They didn't pass the ball at all. These guys, there's no Brady out here. How, how are they doing that to us on our field? And afterwards, yeah. you know, McDermott says, let's not give Belichick too much yeah. credit. Wow. <laughs> I'm saying good luck in uh, 19 days when they play again. Even yeah. you, even I, I know you're you. You've always been a Belichick. I have to be surprised what he's doing here. They're going to the Super Bowl, Shaughnessy. They've they've won seven in a row. They've won the division. I'd say they won the division last night. They're going to get home field. They're going to get a bye. They're going to play in Foxborough in January again, with a chance to go to the Super Bowl again. 
I, everything you say is possible and true. I still think the Colts are going to beat them. In that conference right now, you lose a game, it goes upside down. The Bills yeah. went from being one to seven with a win or a loss in that game. And I mean, I just think the way the Colts are playing, having to go into Indy, I don't know. I just, if, if they don't lose that game, Jerry, yeah, I mean, they, they could run the table. I mean, yeah, I, if they do that, then they're going to be prohibitive favorites going into the tournament. But I still think they got a couple bumps ahead of them. It won't be right. Jacksonville or Miami. Right, Jacksonville. I mean, think of it. The Jacksonville, Miami, and then Sean McDermott again in New England. Yeah. Uh, the Colts on the road, obviously, is a tough one. But yeah, can you believe we might see them in the Super Bowl and maybe against Brady? It just seems so surreal. And it, it I, I say this all the time. I, we're going to talk about Larry Bird yeah, on yeah. his 65th birthday. But when I was writing, and I, I know you went through this too, and it was a slow day, and I'll be talking to my editor we had an expression. It was, uh, when in doubt, do Larry. When in doubt, find something to write about Larry. And and my contention is, it was you could write about Larry Bird clipping his toenails, and it would be more interesting, and the readers would find it more interesting than if, I don't know, Dustin Pedroia hit a grand slam. Yeah. He just was a different a different breed. And there's, there was, I, I used to say there was no one like him, but in, in a way, Brady was like him too, because I went through that too, where it was, when in doubt, do Brady. Just say something, write something above Brady, and people will read it. Yeah, our good friend Lee Monfield had that mantra going back to the to the 80s. Uh, Bobby Orr, Doug Flutie. So those four, you know, if you wrote about any of those guys, people would just read it. I still find it that way. Uh, a year and a half ago, early pandemic, I just did a column on me and Larry. You know, it was just a throwaway thing, and that led to the book. But anytime, and if, you know, they, they can – they quantify all this now with the metrics. And so right. if you do something for the globe, they know right away who, you know, who read it, who, who subscribed because of it, who read to the bottom of it. They know all that stuff now. And it, it those names, they work every time. Well, uh, and, and I talked to you during the pandemic when you were just, I think, starting off on this uh, yeah. project. And I said, great idea, because I look back kind of like you do that we were in the middle of that. And you were closer than I to that team, to that guy. And you don't appreciate it when it's happening. You know, appreciate you don't appreciate it enough. And I still say, I mean, he's not. I wouldn't say he's the greatest player ever, but yeah, I, I there was no one like him. There was no one like Larry. There was no one like the the aura around him. He changed everything in the city, and not just for Celtics fans, but for all New England fans. You know, when he took the court, he was just so cocky and just so good. Do you feel that way? Like at the time, you didn't realize it, and now looking back, it was. Something special. I should have enjoyed it more than I did at the time. And that was one of the reasons for the book, kind of a smell the roses moment there. I was being the tough guy reporter and all, you know, balls to the walls and not having any. Uh, and they they didn't trust me, the usual. You know, they called me Scoop and Larry would say, Scoop, you notice how quiet it gets when you walk in the room here? Now, that was okay. I mean, I understood that. So, uh, but there was good contentiousness. And when I look back, it's just the access we had to them. And with Larry, People want to know anything, like you say about cutting his toenails, any conversation. I went and got all of them. I had some tapes and I, I, I had some journals, jot stuff down, some stuff in the in the microfilm, whatever you call it there, and uh, just, just patched it together for this book. And there's a lot of Larry talking in there. And it's just, it always felt like you didn't, you wanted to know more because right. you never really felt like you knew that much. I mean, it was kind of like, he was like invented in Indiana and then he just shows up here. And how did he become like that? And how much did being poor have to do with it? And how much did losing his dad early on have to do with it? And and where did he get that you know, that hunger and uh, and the cockiness? I talked to him. 
there's one conversation we're like in Cleveland and I was like, how do you not get intimidated by like James Worthy and Dominique Wilkins, these friggin' pogo sticks who are so much better than you that jump higher. And, and he just, he said, I've never been intimidated on a basketball court. He said, I remember in, in high school, you know, they'd be trying to give it to my teammates during warmups. He said, you know, he says, there'd be a guy with cornrows and all this, like dunking down the other end and yelling trash down my way. He says, I'd walk down there and say, when this game's over, I'm going to own your ass. And, and, you know, and then he did. And, and it was like, and then you'd see these people who were physically far superior to him. I talked about the mechanics of that a little bit in the book where Buckner talks about it, just how strong he was. So, you know, it's one thing to be able to jump over the, you know, over the gym and, and all that stuff. But, and they say, if you get up in the air and you get that big ass and, and you're throwing it around, you know, you can move people around when you're in the air and that he had farm boy strength. And that's the bailing hay and all the stupid cliches you talk about. Those were true cliches. And Buckner had a funny one too. He said, when they were warming up, there was a game called knockout. You know, you're shooting, you're trying to not right. make the other guy's shot go out and make your, Buckner said, he could, he could knock your shot away from the hoop and make his go in. He was playing pool and basketball at the same time. I always say that the greatest misconception that I've seen in my career was that when he started, and people didn't think he was, thought he was dumb, dumb. And I said, he spent five minutes around him. You know, he's not dumb. He's very aware of his surroundings. He used to sit on the table in the locker room, look at the clock and talk to the media. And he, he knew it only took 10 minutes. That's why he did it. He said, it's 10 minutes. He doesn't like doing it, but it's not a lot to ask for the money we make. And he understood there was a certain obligation there. But did you, I mean, that's a great point. We don't really know that much. Of, he held back, you know, he was, he was smart and he did answer questions, but he held a lot back and you never really knew that much about him. You didn't, it's not like Tom Brady. We have like an eight part yeah. series come out yeah. on ESPN dot com plus every every you know six months uh, and that's why this book is a good idea because i still feel like i i would like to know more about him i'll tell and, you and, i'll tell you a couple you i mean are we allowed to use bad words on this podcast and all that? we can Absolutely. Okay, i figured so um you know they're in the book so what the hell but he uh you know the thing with his diet like like staying in shape was not easy for him i'm surprised he's he has stayed as in good shape as he has because he looks pretty good when you see him in these commercials and whatnot and he hated it. And I would write about Maxwell getting a bag of bag of burgers from McDonald's. He'd send the equipment guy, you know, Francis over there to get the bag of burgers and Max would eat in front of his locker. And, you know, people wouldn't do that today, I suppose, because the diet restrictions and all that. But but I used to write about that. And Larry would say, Scoop, don't write about that. I eat just as bad as anybody in this team. He says, he says, I hate, I hate staying in shape. When when my career's over, I will be the fattest fuck you've ever seen. He says, you know, just look out below because I'm 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 done watching myself on this and one time he had during the late in the career when he had the bad back he had to miss about a month and he came back i don't know seven or ten pounds heavier and he said he said i was eating wedding cakes every day and we said what why would you eat a wedding cake he said who's gonna fuck up a wedding cake he said so, so he ate wedding cake and just the way he his logic when we were on the road he'd, he'd say something like like you or I would say, if we were living that life, like it'd get, it'd get back to the bus after practice at the LA forum, whatever it'd say, okay, we just got through shooting baskets. Let's get in our free bus and go back to our free hotel and eat some free food. He says, well, this life in the ABA, you don't like this. There's something wrong with you. And again, who among us wouldn't think that way, but none of them ever say something like that. 
I, I saw him, and I'm sure you did too. Charm. I saw him uh, light up a cigarette one time, and I was oh. like, "Holy crap!" <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's that's the way he was. I mean, well, you know, people, you know, that he was one of those ones. I had him in college. Guys who would never do it, but when they had a few, right. at the end of the night, the cigarettes would get going. He would do that, and he had a thing with the with the bottles. Molson's were popular when I was traveling with the team. Heineken's, Molson's, all that, and he had a he drew a line on it. And, um, and it wasn't because of the expense. I figured, it's, you know, he liked Pabst Blue Ribbon or, you know, cheap Budweiser or whatever. But it was the green bottle. He said, he said, I was in college once. You know, you're at those parties. You just pick up a random beer, start chugging it, and says, that third cigarette butt went down. And after that, I could never drink again out of a green bottle. <laughs> I'm with him. It was Heffenreffer for the people. <laughs> that was, a, they just call it green death. Um, but, uh, and, um did you think Bird was in what would be coach of the year, executive of the year? Do you think he'd, after he played, I mean, he said he'd get fat. Do you think he would keep it going, be, remain as competitive and as dominant as he was as a player? It was interesting because he was good at both of those things. And I would not have, I would not have been able to guess that he would be good at both things. Cause you know, right. like Ted, Ted Williams was kind of a crappy manager. When you're that good, a lot of times it doesn't translate. We know the drill there, but uh, I remember that he had a phony no-show job at Merrimack street when he first retired from the Celtics. I came into that building one day and I didn't know what floor the Celtics offices were on. And he was at the elevator and we're both standing there. And I'm like, you don't know what floor they're on either. Do you? And so, so he had two guys not knowing what floor, but his, his picture was on the masthead. So then, you know, he wouldn't be a, a big boss here and he wouldn't coach here because he wanted guys like you and me 45 years later to still be talking in these reverent tones so that there would never be anything to diminish his, he just wanted to walk away as this perfect player and that's it in Boston. So he, he, that was by design, but when he goes to Indiana, he does both. But when he took that coaching job, we talked to him, you and I, I had that recording too, Jerry. We had him on the radio with Glenn Ordway, you, me and Glenn Ordway had him on. It's like the night he got the job in Indiana, but we were all like dazzled that he had chose to do this. And uh, I'm like, you hate working. You don't want to do this. He said, I'm doing three years. And um, that's it. And I think that went back to Bill Fitch, who in his fourth year, it kind of blew up. And I think he saw it as a term limits. So he honored that. Third year, he got to the finals and he walked. And, and uh, what's he do now, Dan? Did he sit down with you? Boy, I'll tell you, what he doesn't do is, is re return our phone calls. And, oh, right. and I was prepared for that. I told Scribner. Hey, I'm not guaranteeing this guy because he's he's not been doing a lot. I think he's turned off the faucets. Well, that proved to be true. I can tell you, he didn't he didn't call Max. He wouldn't help Max with his book. He wouldn't re he wouldn't return calls from Jackie or Bob Ryan. He wow. has shut it off. And those are people who wrote his biographies and lived in his house. I mean, he loves them. So right. he's you know how he he's sort of like across the board. If he does, if he's not going to do one thing, he's going to honor that with everybody else, so that people don't think they're getting favored, or whatever. And I, I knew, I knew I wasn't going to vault over those people because he loves them way more than me. <laughs> I always explain this to people that you are a great beat guy, and the and the and and you didn't last because if you're a great beat guy, you can't last like yeah. 20, 30 years on a beat. You just you know you just piss off too many people, and yeah. you did that on the Red Sox beat and on the Celtics beat. And I was glad to see that you didn't uh, leave. You know, you you didn't leave out Robert Parrish's no. uh, transgressions uh, in this book. I mean, obviously, it's about the team, that whole yeah. franchise, McHale and Parrish and Ainge. And Parrish hated you, correct? He hated one of the one of the one of the chapter titles comes from Cedric Maxwell. Because uh, thirty seven years later, I'm like Max, what was it? Why did he hate me? 
And Max said, Chief, just has a disdain for your ass. So that's the title of the chapter. And it was always the case. I could never bring him out of it. And you will appreciate this. The one time I tried to, to you know, break through, talked to him at the airport in Detroit because Quinn, Quinn Buckner was there and I was trying to break through. And he said to me, you know, he said, I'm not talking to you. I don't want to do this. We're not getting anywhere. And you remind me of, you remind me of my wife. You remind me of a woman. You know, well, you're, you're lucky he didn't hit you then, Dan. That's what I rem- that's what I thought of later when all that stuff came out. <laughs> and it, and he's lucky it was pre-social media because he still yeah. gets a standing ovation when he walks into the garden. And I every time I, I just scratch my head, so these people realize, you know, what he did. Talk about a Me Too movement. He, you know, he smacked them around his wife more than once. And uh, as someone told me, he does it because he likes it. That's it's it, it's. <laughs> Uh, we, we don't have time to get into, you know, Parrish's, uh, Parrish's track record, but uh, this book is about the team, the era as a whole, correct? Not just about Larry. Yeah. I know I'm obsessed with Larry, but uh, you kind of cover everything, right? Yeah. So what happens is, you know, I mean, again, Larry gets here in 79. Don't, you know, the NBA today is nothing what it was like all those years ago. Right. And Larry and Magic made the big change. At that When they came into the league, the, the, the finals are on tape delay. 17 out of 23 teams are losing money. There's a drug problem in the league. And it's small time. I mean, they're, they're still flying commercials, staying at Holiday Inns, all that stuff. So Larry Magic come in, and then into the 80s, you get this Larry Magic becomes like Ali Frazier, three times, back and forth. And, and then Michael comes in, and then it goes to the Dream Team in Barcelona, and, and it's global. And now you have this. What you, what you don't have today is, is the ability for the, the writers to tell the fans what they're like. So this is sort of a window back to us being able to you know, live with them, fly commercial, wait for bags, tell you what they're like. And, and this group, and I know you were a, a fan and then a writer, but this group was unusually confident and, and secure in their own greatness. They weren't worried about touches. They weren't hugging the other team after the game to, to form a super team in the offseason. They, they hated Bill Lambeer. Larry hated Bill Lambeer so much, his first question when he would make the All-Star game was, is Lambeer a reserve? Because if he is, I don't even want to go because I, I, I hate going to practice with Lambeer, getting on the bus day of practice and Bill sitting in the front row going, good morning, Larry. And I go, fuck you, Bill. You know, that's how he hated <laughs> Lambeer. He was not all about hugging him after the games. So, again, and, and go to – you were there. Those Celtic practices, seeing Parrish against Walton, Bird against Scott Wedman, you know, DJ – you know, going against Rick Carlisle, these things, they, they were, they loved each other and they, they loved playing against each other and breaking chops and having fun and, and then going out and kicking ass and taking names. It was just, it was extraordinary to be around. And it is to this day. And I had the unique distinction to go from that team of confident greatness to the insecure 86 Red Sox. And that's, that's in the book too. And Bruce Hurst gives this great passage. He's like, yeah, I I was around those Celtics because I was friends with Danny. I'd go to practice. And those guys were they were confident. They cheered for each other. They helped each other. There was no jealousies or insecurities. He says, we were the exact opposite. We hated each other. You know, we harbored bitter feelings. Who's getting the most credit? You're trying to crawl over this guy to get to the big leagues. We had none of that grace or confidence or security that those players had. It was, it's, it's one of the great passages that any athlete has ever said to me. It's great. That is good. Plus, they had the nastiest guy in charge in John McNamara and of one of the nastiest guys uh, in Jim Rice. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you mentioned competing with each other. And, and before I let you go, you got to mention at least one of the stories about uh, competing with you. What was the story of, of, of uh, you uh, shooting free throws with Bird? He taped up his Well, it's or- funny. 
because you this this came up again that interview with Ordway. I don't know how I had that tape, Jerry, but it comes up again years later. So anyway, it's '85. He gets in a barroom fight. His hands messed up. We don't know why his hands messed up. But at practice, they're playing the Sixers in the conference finals, conference semis, and his, his hands taped like a web, like this. And I'm like, after practice, you can't play in a game like that. And he says, Scoop, I could take my whole hand and make more shots than you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that, that's not really the point. And he had done this before, obviously. He's like, no, we're going to do. We'll see who can shoot free throws with tape on his hand. So they 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 put his hand in a fist. Ray Malchiori balled it up. And he says, we'll do 100. Ten, $5 a throw, 10 shots around. He says, you want to go first or I'll go first? I said, uh, I said, I'll go first. He says, you don't like the pressure, do you? I'm like, that's correct. But I was a good free throw shooter in high school, like yourself. So... You know, I go out there, I make, you know, I made six out of 10. He goes out there, he's pushing him off. He makes six. I'm thinking this is going to be okay. Second round, they all start going in. I'm not even moving. I'm just standing there. It's coming through the net. And I hear him. He says, I got this figured out. And he did. They were all going in. So he made 86 out of 100 with his hand like that. I owed him $160. And uh, the next night, you know, he'd have that shooting drill early at the garden late in the afternoon. I'd go there and he'd come over with his greedy palm out. Where's, where's my 160 bucks scoop? So I gave him his 820s, and he put it in his sock, played with my money in his shoe all night. No. Then he goes out to dinner with Dinah the next night, and he says, uh, after he tells me two days later, he says, yeah, Dinah, we had our big dinner off you, Scoop. And then Dinah said, Larry, you know, we had our big dinner. You should give that right or the rest of that money back. He goes, can you imagine her saying something like that? I'm like, <laughs> no, what a sap that Dinah is, you know. So it was just – and then we did that show, and he got the job with the Pacers. We're asking him these stupid questions all on the radio, you, me, and Ordway. And I, I made some, you know, like, you you don't want to work anymore. He goes, all I know is I got $160 in my pocket, Scoop. I mean, he never forgot the number. I uh, Man, he was the best. And I wonder today, right now today, if he were sitting in the table in the middle of the locker room and we asked him about, I don't know, we asked him about Trump, you know, or asked him about uh, lockdowns or asked him about, you know, Hunter Biden. I don't know. You, I mean, would he be as compelling, as interesting, would he, or would he hold back? Would he be like LeBron? Would he be... Uh, you know, uh, hold, uh, carrying water for China, like LeBron and, and, and other NBA guys. He'd say something that would make you wonder. You right. wouldn't, he, he'd leave it ambiguous enough so you wouldn't be sure. That's what that, I think he would do. That, that is a good answer. Although I know at heart, he probably would be a Trumpkin. He'd probably be probably with me on that. <laughs> uh, just a guess, but uh, he is 65 today. And I wasn't always so sure he'd make it there. Uh, I know. Then, uh, you know, he's one of those big guys with the big, yeah, feet. big people, man. And, you know, I don't know about his genes. We know his father killed himself yeah. while on the phone with his mother, correct? Uh, correct. Yeah, they were coming for him. They were going to put him in jail for child support. And he called her up and he did the deed while she was on the line. If that's not going to affect you forever. And uh, it, it's amazing what he accomplished when you consider where he came from. But uh, happy birthday to Larry. And congratulations to you, Shaughnessy. It's called... Um, What's it called again? Wish It Lasted Forever, Life with the Larry Bird Celtics. It's available on Amazon, your local bookstore. Take care of them. Make sure they have them because they're selling fast and they're running out and they got to reorder. Tell them to reorder too. I'm I'm getting it for Christmas and as soon as I'm done with the laptop from hell, I'm diving into Wish It Lasted Forever. Uh, good job, Dan. Thanks for uh, joining me this morning and good luck with the book and Merry Christmas. And uh, maybe we'll uh, see you at the Super Bowl, Shaughnessy. Yeah, I'll see you there. Well, I'll keep following you on Twitter in the meantime. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dan. See you later. That Bye -bye. is Dan Shaughnessy from the uh, Globe and from uh, and, and, and from the Celtics beat in the 80s and the Red Sox beat. And that's, Karana, you don't know this. Obviously, I was there and close to it. And Shaughnessy's a friend of mine. But 
he was a really good beat guy and you knew it because they all hated him not you know they didn't hate him like like bird didn't hate him he just they were wary of him they were they you know they knew he was there to do a job he wasn't there as one of them one of the beat guys for the herald <laughs> named mike carey nice enough guy but he was so close to the team he quit the herald and became danny Ainge's agent <laughs> that's that's the guy who was allegedly, you know, covering the beat for the Herald, the Globe. You had Shaughnessy who pissed off. And then he was on the Red Sox beat and pissed off everybody. And I think he lasted two or three years because they all wanted to kill him. That's how you knew he was good at it. And he still is. And I know some people don't like him, but when he's gone, he's kind of like how he carried the Herald. When he's gone, there'll be no reason to ever, you know, look at the Globe. I still have to clear my history every time he writes a column just to read him and do the incognito and then you're fine incognito Incognito window to reach honesty and then i'm done till the next time he writes that i love the idea of this book um just sentimental like that i love the idea of looking back on those glory days of of larry bird just owning this town own and you know what no one's bigger than brady brady's the greatest football player ever the greatest nfl player just a you know amazing winner amazing guy amazing story but it was different with Bird. It was just, it was like nastier. It was dirtier. It was edgier. You know, Bird, Brady's perfect. Brady's father was, you know, there and loved him and raised him. Bird's father shot himself in the head on the phone with his mother. I mean, that's how Larry grew up. Dirt poor in Indiana, you know, just, and and developed into this great clutch performer and and great great player um and it was just so different he didn't get sent to summer camps every year and personal trainers and everything else a different world and he overcame everything to become just the greatest uh athlete that i've ever had the pleasure of watching and covering but and Chaudhary's good at this too he's a good writer and he's and he doesn't he knows you know what people want he's not just it's not just going to be fluff you know it's not going to be fluffy he promised me the uh, stuff about Robin Parrish abusing his wife was in there, and that's good because a lot of people in Boston do not want to remember that. But uh, all right, let's do Shea and then wrap this sucker up, Carano. I would have been telling you about Shea Concrete for a long, long time. Today we're sitting with the man who makes it all work, the man in charge of the whole place, my brother-in-law, Greg. Hey, Greg, seems like business is booming at Shea Concrete. We're cranking that out, Jerry. Well, uh, I'm I'm just wondering, what's holding you back these days? We could use some good help. You need people? We need people. How many people do you need? At least 20 people. 20? Well, what kind of people? We have positions driving trucks, working in the production plants, estimating engineers, all kinds. Do you need any podcasters? (laughs) I know. We do have the Precast podcast. Well, I, I think it seems like a great place to work, as I tell people. It's a family atmosphere. You guys are good to your people. There's a great gym here at the headquarters. Uh, what's holding you back? Why can't you find people? Besides being to work on time, you have to pass the drug test. Ooh, <laughs> you have to pass a drug test. That's all it takes. All right, if people want to uh, come see you, they want to talk, what do they have to do? Bunch of ways. They can, if they want to be a team member, they can go to shakeconcrete.com, fill out an application. They can come to our, any of our offices. We got four locations. They can call me up directly. They can email jobs at shakeconcrete.com. And you'll give them a hat? And we'll give them a hat. Hats. Yep. All right, sounds good. Shakeconcrete.com. I saw a really cool, uh, nice cafeteria here. Can we go have lunch? Oh, absolutely. We got empanadas and chicken. <laughs> Excellent. I don't know what they are, but I'm going to go have an empanada. All right, uh, <laughs> you know what? The 
Patriots have a bye. I feel like I need it too, man. Those games, they wear you out. Last night, is that night, that was one of the most entertaining, low-scoring games yeah. I've ever seen. I was enthralled. That was the most entertaining, boring games ever. Carolina, yeah. well put, because uh, you know they threw, they completed two passes, and yet it was riveting. And I guess I said earlier that there was no big creative or you know thing to devise, get not a real creative game plan. They ran it forty-six times, but they ran it when they had the wind. So I guess it was a little bit surprising. I'm saying when they sure. got the wind. They'll throw. And they didn't. The Bills did, but the Patriots didn't. And again, I think what you're seeing, and you could feel it, that this this really inflicted some damage on Buffalo. Maybe they bounce back. I hope they do. I like when Buffalo's competitive. I like when the division's competitive. But I have a feeling that, that they really did uh, cause some serious damage well, to McDermott. McDermott and he, his team. he, he uh, he insulted Isaiah McKenzie and, and Marcus Stevenson. There, He was asked, why weren't they uh, back? Why weren't they activated? Why weren't they there to, to retrieve punts? And he said he couldn't trust them. And so, and, <laughs> and, uh, and so you see um, the tweet back, Isaiah McKenzie, like, is upset by it. Like, so they're tweeting back at each other. It's really funny. He, he took a shot at Belichick, at his own coaching staff, yes. and at his players. <laughs> yes. That's how rattled he was after this game. And he has to go on the road to Tampa. So they're a game and a half back. They'll soon be two and a half, three and a half, whatever. Uh, they ain't winning the division. They're going to be a wild card. They're going to have to go on the road, and they just don't have what it takes. To pay. They did, but the Patriots just ripped it out of them and stomped it flat. So I don't see them recovering, nor do I see Jesse. I'm going to follow the case again today. Tomorrow we'll give you another update on Jesse, but I got a feeling it ain't going his way at all, ever. He never had a chance. I don't even know why. Maybe he's just really cocky. thought, you know, I could. I'm an actor. I'll convince everybody that I'm telling the truth when the story was just so silly that he could never, that was never, ever possible. And we will, tomorrow I'm going to get to the, finally get to the story of my little, I got two feuds going. I got a feud with the MSNBC guy with a million followers. Right. And the Washington Post guy who wrote the story about Eric Clapton called me his home, his hero. I know. His hero. He started following me on Twitter too. I I, uh, I I threw out some 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 shade his way yesterday and he reacted, which was, all, that's always fun to see. Jeff Edger's the name, right? Yes, that's and, right. Uh, I, and, and he's tweeted at me, and maybe we'll get him on. He's He wrote that amazing story about Eric Clapton. It's worth reading. I've sent it to a couple friends of mine saying, you got to read this to believe it. And, uh, he, I mean, he did a good job. It's just, you know, all of Clapton's friends who, who have turned on him because he's against lockdowns and shutdowns, which are coming, by the way. They've locked their, their sh- uh, mandates are in New York City now, and the Boston mayor is considering mandates. They're coming for <laughs> small businesses, bars, restaurants, gyms. They're not through with you. They're coming for you. And we will be there on your side. And we'll keep you updated. But uh, that will do it for today. Thanks to you, Matt Carano. Thanks to everyone for watching, for listening, for commenting. Thanks to Dan Shaughnessy, author of Wish It Lasted Forever. That That's a good Christmas gift for some old guys like me, let me tell you. But uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm Jerry Callahan. This is The Callahan Show. And we will talk to you again tomorrow.
Finding suitable mental health medications can be a challenge. The GeneSight test may help. Did you know that genetics can play an important role in gaining insight on how a person may respond to various medications? Understanding this may help reduce medication trial and error. GeneSight is a genetic test that analyzes variations in DNA. It shows how genes may affect someone's metabolism or response to medications commonly prescribed to treat depression, anxiety, and other mental health conditions. Visit GeneSight.com for more information.